38A and 38B right at the bottom of the page. And it's the last line on the page. It says, Amar le Rabbi Yirmiyah l'Rabzeira. Rabbi We previously mentioned that Rabbi Yechonan had made a bracha on a salted olive, on a single salted olive, right? In the context of trying to prove, does the bracha change once it gets cooked of a certain item? And the question is like this. How could Rabbi Yechonan possibly have made a bracha on a single salted olive? Kivan deshakleha ligarineha. Since you have to, nobody eats an olive with the pit inside it. So what did he do? He took the olive and he threw the pit out before he ate it, right? So what will end up happening is that your total volume of olive is going to be less than the typical volume that one would need. So here's the halacha. The halacha is that when it comes to making what we call the brach rishona, the blessing that you make before eating food, no matter how much food you're planning on eating, even just a sip of water, or even just a, a crumb of bread, you're going to have to make the before blessing. But when it comes to making an after blessing, there's a specific amount of food that one has to eat. So what's that amount of food when you want to make an after blessing? You have to eat a kezayas worth of food, right? Kezayas means literally the volume, which is like a volume of an olive. And when we talk about the volume of an olive, we don't talk about the volume of an olive without its pit. We talk about the volume of an olive with its pit. So the Gemara is asking a very technical question here. We see that Rabbi Yochanan made a blessing of ha'et and al ha'et after eating a one single salted olive. Now, if you eat a single salted olive and you take out the pit, what are you left with? You're left with a volume that's less than the sheer, less than the requisite measure that one would need to make the after blessing. So how could he do this? Who told you that when it comes to making a after blessing, one needs to have the volume of food that is equal to a large olive. Rather, it's not a large olive. You just need a small olive. I mean, sorry, not a small olive, a medium-sized olive. You need a medium-sized olive. And the olive that they brought in front of Rabbi Yechonon, it was a very large olive. Even after he had removed this pit, it was still large enough measure that it was considered to be a medium-sized olive with its pit measure, and therefore he could fulfill, and he would, ha- he would be required to make the after-blessing after eating that. It's not. We learned in a Mishnah. We learn in the Mishnah in Caleb that the olive that we're talking about is not a small olive and not a large olive, but it's a medium-sized olive. That is the measure that one has to eat to make the after blessing. And that is the olive which is called Aguri. It's not called Aguri. It's rather the real name is Avruti. Other people say Samruti. Other people say the real name of an olive is called Isamruti. Why is it called agure? So why is that its sort of slang name? Because the oil of the olive is accumulated within it, is collected within it. Name it tonight. So Gemara says like this. Let's say that this is really a machlekas tanayim. This is a machlekas tanayim. Yes, let's see. What's machlekas tanayim? Tahanu tre talmide. Tahaviyasi kamide bar kapara. There were two students that were sitting in front of bar kapara. Right? They brought three different food items in front of these students. One is kruv, which is a, a cabbage. Dermaskin is some sort of fruit from Damascus. Upargiot, pargiot, what we still call in Hebrew today. A pargiot is like a, a chicken. I mean, today it's just dark chicken cutlets, but I don't know if it's specifically dark chicken cutlets in the Gemara's language. So these are the three items that are in front of them. So Rakapara said to one of them, you could go make the first blessing. He like sort of 
jumps forward and makes the first bracha, the first bracha item that he makes on is the pargyot, on the chicken. Lagleg Allah chaveri. So his chaver is, uh, you know, mocking him for jumping forward to make a blessing on the chicken. Cause Barakapara, Barakapara got angry. I'm not angry on the one who made the blessing. I'm angry at the one who's making fun of the one making the blessing. Even if your friend looks like someone who has never tasted a taste of meat in his life, and that's why he's jumping forward to jump on this meat. What are you laughing at? Then he turns to the other guy, the one who jumped forward, and says, I'm not angry at the one who's making fun of you. I'm angry at the one who made this blessing first. And he says to him, listen, you weren't sure which one to make a blessing on first. At least you should have then asked the zikna. You should have asked me, the old person in the room, what the halacha is, which one should I make a bracha on first? And the, what we finish off by saying is that both of these students of Bakapara did not even last the rest of that year because of the anger that Bakapara had at them for having done this thing. Now, the story always reminds me of is a famous story with uh, Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky. Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky, who was a Rosh Hashiva in the last century from a European Rosh Hashiva who was in America. So what happened is he was at a wedding together with a whole bunch of other Gedalim. And they're sitting at the table. And the choice was the dinner was either chicken or meat. And they're going around the table and they're asking each person, what do you want? And each person says, ah, chicken, ah, chicken, ah, chicken. They get up to be active and he hesitates back and forth and he's like, meat. So they say to him, why did you choose meat when everybody else chose chicken? He's like, I'll tell you the truth. We all had the same exact thought going through our head. It was a battle between our taiva, our desire to eat meat, and our taiva for covet and our desire for covet. We didn't want to look like people who want to eat meat. Everybody else, their desire for covet outweighed their desire for the food. For me, the desire for the food outweighed the desire for the, for the covet. And that is basically what happened over here, that this guy jumped forward for the chicken. That's what I thought when I first started reading this Gemara. But then the Gemara says that there was actually a, a, a big technical conversation happening over here. What's the conversation? My life. <laughs> is it not that this is what they're arguing about. The one who made the blessing on the Pargeot first, he thought that when it's a boiled vegetable, and chicken, they're both shahakal niyabadvari, right? What do we see from here? We see that he believes that a vegetable, which is supposed to be eaten raw, cabbage, supposed to be eaten raw, you make adama. Once you boil it, it turns into shahakal. That's what he believes. Since they thought they're both the shahakal blessing, then which one comes first? And therefore, which one comes first? The one which he actually likes more. And you get most people a choice between boiled cabbage and a dark chicken cutlet. Most people take the dark chicken cutlet first every day of the week. And the one who was laughing at him believes that boiled vegetables, indeed, you do make a hadama still. In Pargyot, this chicken cutlet is only going to be a shahako. Now, which one comes first? So the way it works like this. Shahako is considered to be the, the lowest blessing in the hierarchy. Because shahako, Taisus explains, shahako is a very, <coughs> is a very large, it's a, a non-specific bracha. So it's not considered to be as significant as the other brachas that are more specific. So shahakal is the lowest one in the hierarchy. So if you have to eat food items and you have a shahakal item in front of you, a ha'etz item in front of you, a hadama item in front of you, first you make a bracha on the ha'etz, then the hadama, then the shahakal. Let's say you have two different items, both in the same category. So which one should you make your only blessing on? They're both shahakal. Make the blessing on the one that you like more. Let's say you have two different ha'etz items, even if you like one of them more than the other, but one of those items is listed in the Shiva Saminim, is one of the seven species for which Israel is known for. 
then you should make a blessing on the seven species item first. And let's say you have three different items, all of which are in the seven species, and you're going to make an eighth on one of them. Which one do you do first? So Tosus explains that you, you make the bracha on the items that are listed earlier in the list when the Torah goes through the seven fruits, seven, sorry, seven species for which Israel is known for. Go follow that list and make the bracha on the earlier one before the later one. Okay, so what happened over here? That we're trying to prove from that this machlekes, the, the, the dispute between the students of Bar was basically, do we say that shlakos, boiled vegetables, is still in the category of hadama, in which case you should make a bracha on it first before the chicken cutlet, or do we say it's changed its category and now it's in shahakal category, they're both in the same category, then make a bracha on the pargyot if you like the pargyot more. That was the machlekes. That's what the Gemara says. Gemara says, loy, that's not true. That wasn't actually what the machlekes was. Everybody agrees that when it comes to boiled vegetables, when it comes to chicken cutlets, the bracha is shahakal. What they're arguing about is a different thought. One of them says that the thing which is more dear and tastes better to this specific person comes first. And the other one says that the cabbage, cabbage should have come first. Why? Because cabbage offers more sustenance than a pargiot. Right? I guess they didn't have the you know, protein as opposed to vegetables. Might not have understood these things so well in those days. I don't know. So they thought that cabbage is is, uh, offers more sustenance, I guess. Amar Abzer, Abzer says, Gavinan Beit Ravuna, Amar Lan, Hani Gardali de Lifsa. He says like this, there are these pieces of turnip. Parminu Prima Raba, Vayurbi Adama. If you cut it into large slices, you make a Hadama. Prima Zuta, you chop it up into small chunks, Shahakan Yibazari, then you make a Shahakan Yibazari. Vichi Asan, the Beit Rav Yehuda, and when I came to Rav Yehuda, Amar Lan, he said to me, Idi Vidi Vayurbi Adama, both of these, whether they're big chunks or small chunks, you make a Vayurbi Adama. And that which they chop it up to small pieces is to actually make it sweeter. Somehow or other, through chopping them to particularly small pieces, then it ends up getting sweeter. So that's actually a, it's beneficial to the overall taste. If it was beneficial to the overall taste, you would still make a hadama. If chopping it to small pieces is not beneficial to the overall taste, you would no longer make a hadama. I'm sorry, Amar Rav Ashi. When I was by Rav Kahana, Amar Lund, Tavshila de Silka, de Lo Mavshiba Kimcha. You have a, a dish of beets that there is very little flour in it. You make adama, right? Because it's, it's mostly just cooked beets and cooked beets you make adama on. The lifsa, when you have this cooked dish of cooked turnips, the mashuba kimcha, that they put a decent amount of, of uh, flour in it, then you make a mazainus. And then afterwards, he came back and said, whether it's a lot of flour or a little bit of flour, you make adama. I, we've been saying earlier that as long as you have flour ingredients in it, then you're always going to make a mazainus. He says, there's a concept of, there is an exception to the rule that whenever you have flour in an item, you're going to make a mazainus. What's that exception? So flour that is put in there only as a binder, solely to cause that the different ingredients will be more cohesive, then you're not going to make a mazainus on it. That's not going to be so significant, and therefore you're going to make a hadama. Uh, another example of this would be like licorice today. So licorice today, although it does have flour, we still make a shahakal on it, according to almost everybody, because, because the flour has no taste at all in the licorice, right? It does not offer any flavor at all. It's solely there as an adhesive, as a binder, and therefore you don't make a bracha on the zainus, you make a shahakal on that. You have a, you have a cooked dish of trudin, which are... I think they're turnips. Maybe they're beets. Forget. So yafalaleva is good for the heart. Patele naim is good for your vision. Kolshkin lebenim and it's certainly good for your intestines. 
Amar Abaya, Vahu the Yasiv, Abay Tipi, Vahabit Tochtochen. Abaya says we're talking about a case where you slow cooked it on top of a stove and until it was like going tuk 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 tuk. So that type of cooking, that once that item that cooked slow, long and slow on top of the stove, with I'm pretty sure it's beets, that will end up being good for your vision, good for your heart, and good for your stomach. Amar Papa, Shitali, Maya the Soki Kasilka. If you have a beet soup and now you're eating the soup part of it, it doesn't contain any beets right now. You still make Adam on it. And the water of a turnip dish is going to get the same bracha as the turnip. And whenever you talk about boiled vegetables, it's always going to have the same blessing as the, the water that it's boiling in and, and retains the taste. That's always going to have the same blessing as the actual item. Papa. Maya the sweat of a date? Very good question. So, so Titus asked that question. Um, so I think... Can you repeat the question? Can you repeat the question? Yeah. So the, yeah, so the question is, how is, when we learned earlier, we said that on yesterday's daf, we said that the sweat of a date, which is the honey of a date, you're going to make a bracha of, um, you're going to make a bracha of shahakal. Right? We said also, yayin tapuchim, v'choymet safunias, v'shar meiferis. All of those, you're going to make a, you make a shahakal on them, right? So we said, because that's considered to be like the sweat of the item and not the actual item. So why is that different when you actually boil up the item? So, I think, the, I think the answer is that the main difference we say is that one of them is made <coughs> when you have the, the sweat of the, of the fruit, it doesn't have the same exact flavor as the actual fruit, right? Whereas the, the, cooked, the cooked soup that you're talking about now is exactly the same flavor as that item. So some people say that orange juice might be different. Chazanish supposedly said that since orange juice, you could literally, you take an orange and if you squeeze it properly, you literally have nothing left inside the orange once you finish squeezing it out. So that, indeed, you do make a ha'etan. Right? So basically, it seems to be, according to some Rishonim, that it has to do with, is the nature of a fruit juice to actually taste exactly like the fruit that it came from? If yes, then you would make a ha'etan. If not, then you wouldn't make a ha'etan. Other people say, fruits are normally meant to be eaten. Fruits are meant to be eaten, not in the liquid form, to be eaten in a solid form. So therefore, you're not going to, eating in its liquid form is not a, an advantage. It's not considered to be taking it up another level. It's considered to be taking it down a level. Therefore, you're not going to make an eight. You're going to make a shahakal. Whereas these types of vegetables, the, the ideal way to eat these vegetables is indeed to boil them up and then eat the vegetables. So then that is the more ideal way. And therefore, that would be, you still would make a bracha. But this is a big question. And, and it's still a question, you know, pretty recently, you know, a couple hundred years ago, exactly how to define what the difference is between zaya and what the difference is between, um, um, you know, this type of item of, of a soup. Let's say stewed tomatoes. Like, at what point do we say that? No, that's different. It's unclear. Depending on which we're showing them, you go like it, it could be a, a big conversation, but not right now. Okay. So Umar says, okay, so Maya the Silka, Lalacha is you, same bracha. Maya the Lifsa, the water of the turnip, same bracha. Maya the Kulish, okay, any type, of cook, any type of boiled vegetables, cooked vegetables, you're going to make the same bracha as you would have made on the vegetable itself. But you're a papa, or papa asks the question. Maya the Shifta, Maya. So you have this water in which you place dill and you cook the dill in the water. Why do people do that? Do they do that to make it have a nice flavor? Or do they do it to actually take away some of the dirtiness, right? I guess this would act as some sort of natural filter and it would remove some of the impurities from the water or something of that nature. So if it's only here to remove some of the impurities from the water, so then does the water taste like dill afterwards? No, it doesn't taste like dill. It's just canceling out some of the negative ingredients. So then you're not going to make a special bracha on that water. But if you say that the water is here to actually give a flavoring, that, sorry, the dill is here to give a flavoring to the water, then you would make a special bracha on the, on the water, right? 
So, Sumar says like this, Tashima, come in here, approve. Hashavas, Mishanas, Natan, Bekadera, Eimba, Misham, Truma. You have dill. Once the dill has imparted its flavor into the pot, there no longer is an issue of truma, right? So what we're talking about here is like this. You have Shabbos, you have dill that belongs to truma. So it belongs to truma, and the Kohen is using the Shabbos to impart flavor to his, to his pot. After he finishes doing so, and the flavor is all out of it, and somebody else wants to benefit from that, from that Shabbos. Even though they're not a Kohen, they are permitted to benefit because it's not truma anymore. But what do we see from here? I'm sorry, let's go a little bit further in the Mishnah. And it no longer imparts, we call it Tumas Eichlin. It no longer has the ability to have the impurities that food can, can, uh, can retain. Shemamina, what do we see from here? We see from here, clearly, that why is it that people put dill into their hot water? They put it in to actually make a sweetness, to give some flavor to it. So we see from here, Shemamina, that indeed, if you put dill into a soup, you would make a bracha on the dill, on the, the dill flavor, which now which the soup now has. You have water, it's not water, you have bread, like cut up pieces of bread that are now, they're stale, they're dried out pieces of bread, they're in a ka'ara, they're in a bowl, and then you're going to put water on it now to, to make it a little bit less dry, a little less stale. You make a hamaytzi lachman aras on that bread. And this is an argument with Rukhia. Rukhia says that you should finish making the bracha on bread as you are about to be cutting the bread right before you make, as, as you finish saying, right when you say, you should be cutting into the bread. Now you have a, a, a slice of bread to eat from. So Rukhia says that you should make a bracha on a whole piece of bread. You should not make a bracha on the, on the cut up piece of the bread. Or Rukhia Barashi says that you should make bracha on even cut up pieces of bread if that's what you like more. So you have this dish in front of you, which is sliced pieces of, of um, stale bread. And you're going to put whatever sort of concoction on top of it. And now you're going to eat that. And you like that food more. You also have a whole challah roll in front of you. Which one should you make a bracha on? So Rukhiyah Ba'ashi says, no, make the hamaytzi on the food that you like better, even though it's already sliced up. Rukhiyah himself, Rukhiyah straight, says you should make a bracha on the whole piece of bread, even though you don't like that flavor as much. And everybody's agreeing that if you have either one of these items by itself, of course you make hamaytzi on it. Nobody's disagreeing on that. The question is, what's the priority in terms of order? Which one do you make the hamaytzi on if you have a choice? Matzkala Rava, so Rava comes and asks a question. Says, why are you arguing Rukhiyah Ba'ashi? Because you said that the case of the sliced up bread that's sitting in the bowl, why didn't you want to make a bracha on that? Because it's appropriate that when you finish making a bracha, it should be on a, piece, on a whole piece of bread. If that's true though, Rukhiyah, you don't solve the problem. Because with you also, by the time you finish making the bracha, you have a slice in front of you because at the time that you finish making the bracha, you already finished slicing that, that challah roll. So how did you help matters by saying, oh, no, no, I don't want you to make it on little pieces of challah. The little pieces of challah, they're not even challah at the beginning. Okay, fine. But even in your case, they're not pieces of challah at the end either. So how much are you really helping? When you finish cutting it, you're going to be finishing, when you finish making the bracha, you're going to finish making the bracha on cut up pieces of bread. Turning the page now to 39b. So Rava says, Rava says, like what we do today, you should finish making arts, and after that is when you start cutting into the challah. Now, in the Hadai, they went like Abkhia, or Rabban and Abdi Rava, but the sages went like Rava. Amr Avina, Amr Li Aim. Avina says, so I don't remember seeing this in a different Gemara. I, I remember seeing, not quite like this, I do remember sometimes they quote their mothers about what the halacha is, but not exactly like this. 
So Ravina says, Amrali aim, my mother said to me, Avucha Abit Kirbchia, your father went like Rabchia. He went with the position of Rebchia that you should finish making a mitzvah as you finish slicing through the bread. But you should know that the sages didn't go like the way your father went like Rebchia. They went like Rava that you should first finish the bracha then cut into the bread. And the Gemara now tells us that the halacha is like Rava. The Amar, he says that first you should finish making the bracha then you should cut the bread. Now, you are supposed to slice a little bit into the bread to make the place where you're going to keep on cutting a little bit later so that there's the smallest possible interruption when it comes to actually slicing through the bread after you make the hamotzi, because you want the smallest possible interruption from the time you finish the bracha to the time you eat the bread. However, the reason why you're supposed to have a whole piece of challah is because a whole piece of challah is more significant than a half piece of bread. A piece of bread that's already sliced into does not have the same level of kashivas of significance in people's eyes, and therefore the appropriate thing would be to make a bracha on a whole piece of challah, not a sliced piece of challah. It's not. Mars is going to continue this subject. Let's say they bring in front of someone petisin slices or pieces of challah of and also a whole challah. Avuna says you should make a bracha on the small, the smaller piece of challah. Through that, you exempt the shleiman. You 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 exempt the whole piece of challah from having to make a separate bracha on that. Avuna says that the ideal one to make a bracha on is the as the whole piece of challah, and not on the, the broken piece of challah. But let's say you have like this. You have a sliced piece of bread that is made from wheat flour. You also have a whole challah roll that is made from barley flour. Now, what do people enjoy more? Bread made from barley flour or bread made from wheat flour? Typically, people enjoy bread made from wheat flour more than the barley flour bread. However, if you have a whole one made from barley flour as opposed to a half one made from wheat flour, Everybody would agree that you should still make the bracha on the half piece of bread that's coming from wheat flour rather than make the bracha on the whole piece that's coming from barley flour. So Tormen, Batzel, Katan, Shalim, Avaloi, Chatsi, Batzel, Gadol. So it's Machlekes Tanayim like this in Masechus Trumas, right? So we've discussed before that when you have your crop, you have to give a truma, you have to give a portion of it to the Kohen. So you're, you're figuring out what portion you're going to give to the Kohen. Now you have a crop of onions. You have a choice. You can either give a Kohen, the percentage of the, of the onions that you're going to need to give will be equal to either one whole small onion or one half large onion. Which one should you give the Kohen? A whole small one or a half large one? So it's Machlekes Tanayim, actually. So first Tana, Kanama says, you should give the small onion that is whole. But do not give half of a, of a larger onion. Rehuda says, Rehuda says you should give the half onion that is a lar- half of a larger onion that's the same size, that's preferable. My lab, is and not that this is what they're arguing about. The that the one of them says that the one which is more valuable or more more significant is better. Umar right? So what do you have over here? You have a a lar- a piece of onion from a larger onion that's the equivalent size of a small onion that's whole. So many, most people would say half of a of a large onion is more that's more bang for your buck. I guess it's more significant than a whole small onion. So the other one says, no, you don't go with one's more significant. You go with the one that's whole. So what does this seem to tell us? It seems to tell us that, like this opinion that we said earlier, what's more important? The half piece that's, that's uh, coming from a more significant whole, or is it more important to have the whole that's coming from a less significant thing? Is it better to have a whole challah roll that is at a barley, or better to have a half challah roll at a wheat? Everybody agrees that if there's a coin around, then it's better to give the half of the 
half of the big onion is better. Why? Because you just give it to the coin right now. That's certainly better. So keep pligi. What's this machlekes tanaim talking about? It's talking about a very specific case. The lack of kain. There's no kain right here. It's not. Any place where there's a coin here and ready to pick up his produce right now, then you should take from the best quality stuff, even if it's going to be a cut-up item, and it's not going to be preserved as long. But if there's no coin around, you take from the item, which is not maybe not as high quality, but it's likely to last longer until the coin actually gets to eat it. So that's really what the machlekes is here. Abuse's opinion is you always take from the higher quality one, whether or not you know for sure if you're going to get it to a coin in time, take from the higher quality one and hope it lasts till the coin gets it. The Chalmim say, if there's no coin here, you should take from the lower quality one if it means that it will last till the coin gets it. So the Machlekes in that Mishnah and Trumas is really based on that idea. It has nothing to do with our conversation of, in general, what do we say if you can take a smaller piece of a more significant item or you can take a whole piece of a less significant item which one's first? That we have no inkling from that Mishnah in Truma. Amr of Nachman, Yitzchak Nachman, Yitzchak says, V'yari Shemayim Yitzchid Eishneim. Yari Shemayim should fulfill both of these opinions. Should you take the broken piece or should you take the whole piece? Umanu, how do you do this? Marbre de Ravina. Sorry, who was this? Marbre de Ravina. Mar the son of Ravina. The Marbre de Ravina. Mar the son of Ravina. Meniach Prusa Batecha Shlema. He took a broken piece. He put it, literally it should mean inside the whole one, but we don't understand that it means inside, because if you put it inside the whole one, it would no longer be a whole one. So instead, what you do is, it means the silk, like underneath. So you take the whole challah, and then underneath it, you put a half challah. You hold them both in your hands, and then you make the hamotzi on both of them at the same time. They said over something in front of a nachmah You should put the prusa underneath the shlema, and then you should make the bracha, and then, and then eat it. Amarle Mashem Chay said, "What's your name?" Amarle Shalman. He said, "My name is Shalman." Amarle Shalom Ata Veshalma Mishnasecha Shasamta Shalom Ibn Hatamidim. Says your name is peace, and indeed you have brought peace because you adjudicated between these two opinions. One opinion said Dafka take the whole one. One opinion said Dafka take the broken one. So he said, "You know what? Why can we solve both opinions? Take the whole one and take the half one at the same time. Make the bracha at the same time, and then afterwards we're good to go." Everybody agrees on Pesach, you should have a broken piece of matzah underneath the whole piece of matzah. And this is the source why, why we actually take that, why we break the, the matzah at earlier stage in, in the Seder. We don't do it so we can have an afikoman. It's not why we break the matzah. We break the matzah so that we should, when we make the hamotzi lachem in our earth on Pesach, we should have a broken piece of matzah underneath a whole piece of matzah. Right? So it's to signify the idea of lachemoni, right? That we're in a situation, Mars about to explain, that we're in a situation of we're remembering coming out of Mitzrayim and being in Golos. And because we're supposed to be remembering that, we want to have a broken piece of matzah because the way it works is with slaves, they would, if they get us a, a portion of bread, a portion of matzah, what they would do is they would take half but put it away for later because they're always thinking about where's the next meal coming from. And then they would have one half and they would eat now. We want to signify that, therefore we break the matzah in half. So on Pesach, you take the broken piece, you put it underneath the larger piece of say, and you make a matzah. My time, what's the reason? It says that it should be Bread of poor people. However, when it comes to Shabbos, then you're supposed to have two whole loaves of bread. That's where we get the, the source for Lechem Mishnah. My time, Lechem Mishnah, because it says in the Torah, it's actually in that, this passage's parasha, right? That there's the Lechem Mishnah, the two loaves of bread that they would have, the two portions that they would get on Arab Shabbos of the month, right? So that's what we try to replicate today by having two loaves of bread on Shabbos and also on Yom Tif as well. I think Tesis asks, I think Tysus is supposed to ask, maybe it's over here, maybe it's elsewhere, 
that why are the two loaves of bread on Yom Tif, right? If, if the two loaves of bread on Shabbos, on Erev Shabbos, the reason why we have two loaves of bread on Shabbos is in remembrance of the fact that we had two loaves of bread, two loaves of mun fall on Erev Shabbos in the desert. Well, who said that you needed two loaves of bread to fall on Erev Shabbos, on Erev Yom Tif in the desert, right? Why would you think that that's true? You're allowed to carry on Yom Tif. So, so this is supposed to say that from here we see there's a medrash that indeed they had mun fall on Erev Yom Tif two portions also. And the reason why you're not allowed to take mun on Shabbos is not because of the Erev issue, it's because of the Ma'amar issue, because of the gathering together. You're not supposed to gather things together on Shabbos. And that's why you're not allowed to take mun on Shabbos. That would apply on Yom Tif as well. And that's why we do Lacha Mishnah on Shabbos and on Yom Tif as well. Amr Ravashi, Chazina Leilur Kahana. I saw that Kahana did not cut Tarti Ubatza Chada. I saw Kahana took two loaves of bread and he cut open one of them. Uzeira have a akula sherusa. Uzeira basically takes the challah and like sort of like broken in half into two big chunks. Amalei Ravina Ravashi, Ravina says to Ravashi, Why should you make it into two big chunks and not slicing it more finely? It looks like a, a glutton. Since every other day of the week he eats in a very fine, very dignified manner. And only on Shabbos does he do so. It doesn't look like he's a, a gluttonous person. Rather, it looks like he's someone who is tr- tr- trying to show his, uh, his chuka, his desire to fulfill the mitzvah of, of owning Shabbos, of, um, of enjoying yourself on Shabbos, through eating a good meal. He's trying to show his desire through his alacrity to get to eating that bread. So Ravami and Ravasi, there's a lot of like this. There's something called the Erev Tavshilin, Tavsh, but the Erev Chatseris, right? So technically what we always call the Erev is not really the Erev, right? What we call the Erev is like the strings that go up around us in, in the, in the, um, in a Carmelist. That's not really, the word for that technically is not Erev. When we say Erev, what we're really referring to is what we call the Erev Chatseris. Very quickly, the fact that we're trying to put together the courtyards of all the Jews who are contained within this Erev, without within the Erev, but within the Shitufe Mavayis, within these strings that are, are going up on the telephone, telephone poles around us. Since we're trying to contain them, we're trying to say that we have one shared location. How do we show that one shared location? So we all have a part in what we call the Erev Chatseris, which is, uh, today we keep it as matzah, and matzah is in a courtyard that belongs to, that we, and we say that that courtyard now belongs to everyone, and we all have a shared part in that courtyard, so now we're all considered to be partners. Now, what they would do in those days, they would actually take fresh challah. And they would eat the challah at the end of Shabbos. The next day, Sunday morning, they would eat the challah. So they said, as the Gemara is telling us, once we were talking about the topic of eating challah on Shabbos, so now we go a little bit further into that topic. We say that if they ended up being the people in whose courtyard the bread that was bringing together all the different courtyards was left in their house over Shabbos, so on Sunday morning, they would make Amitilach Menarit on that bread. And they would say, why are we doing that? Because this bread was already used for a different mitzvah, for the mitzvah of Eir Chatseris, for gathering together all the people and making a partnership here. Therefore, we want to make another mitzvah with it, the mitzvah of making a mitzvah on that bread. Okay, for once we actually finished right at the bottom of the page. Good night, everyone. Take care. Good night.